Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, Thomas, the Canucks were listening. They did not want us to get through another van cast talking about yet another uninspiring loss after the last couple. And hey, they served us up a fantastic third period against the New York Rangers. What a third period it was and, and so much to digest from the last couple of games. But let's start there and let's start with that wild, wild sequence in the third period, because I think everybody in Vancouver is still talking about that. Yeah, hockey's allowed to be fun, Farhan. I'd forgotten. Like, I'd honestly forgotten. It's been a long time. Like, it's been a long time since the Canucks put in a period or a sequence like that. Like, I I do think you have to go back to September 2020 for the last time that the Canucks had a moment that felt anything like that in the, like, in terms of how fans reacted, in terms of it being a win, in terms of the club just not looking kind of flat. And I don't mean flat in terms of performance either. I mean flat in terms of like an emotional tenor. Like where is that type of passion and excitement? And like, don't we kind of need to see this team stirring it together at some point for 60 minutes? Like, don't we need to see a consistent like performance or or at least shouldn't we expect to see this team stirring together 60 minutes of exciting, interesting hockey, like Tom, we do, Thomas, right? listen, if, look, no. If if we wanted the house of negativity, we would have turned on Jason Bruff. <laughs> I'm just like, it was just such a departure from everything else I've seen from the Canucks all season. Like all of a sudden, they're generating scoring chances in bunches. Like Pod Pod Colson hauled down, he beats his man back to the net. You know, uh, Elias Pettersson takes the puck high, completely confuses the defenseman. It's high low puck movement. It's a cross seam pass. It's a JT Miller goal. And then you've got that sequence, as you mentioned, you know, three Canucks in the foxhole. Thatcher Demko, as JT Miller put it, like losing his equipment, like <laughs> as, as they go, he's like the, he's like the white knight in, um, in Monty Python's, right? Like, he's just like, uh, ah, it's just a scratch. Like, oh, I lost my mask. Sure. Whatever. Like, uh, incredible. Like it was awesome. And, and it was so great to hear the building react in kind to see that standing ovation, to look down at the Canucks bench and see players hitting their sticks on the bench so hard that I think one of them broke it. Like I'm pretty sure if Pod Golson broke his stick, uh, <laughs> celebrating the Thatcher Demko sequence, like it was amazing. It was, it was so cool. And it's, but you know, for me, it was almost like kudos, right? Kudos, full, full credit, especially to Demko for that sequence. Um, and to Pullman and to Tucker Pullman and to JT Miller, um, and to Tyler Myers. No, because Tyler <laughs> Myers started it. So we do have him to thank for it. We're not going to yeah, necessarily credit him, but uh, two misclearing <laughs> attempts in that same sequence before complete chaos. The chaos giraffe is why it likes to call him. It, oh, yeah. wow. So full credit to at least the three gentlemen in the, in the crease, um, and Myers. But the, but the fact is, is it's like, you know, to some extent, I almost, as I've thought about that third period, right, as the thrill of being in a building with that kind of atmosphere dissipated for me over the past 24 hours, it just occurred to me that, like, you know, that should be something, not not that moment. Like, you can't recreate that moment. But something exciting, like a comeback win or an assertive 
series of games or, you know, just a dominant offensive performance. Like, we should be getting that pretty regularly. Like we should, you know, the, uh, eight years in uh, <laughs> this new regime, like, at least we should have had a season other than 2019-20. Like, even in 2019-20, the most exciting stuff was, like, Louis Erickson's empty netters. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Like, we should be getting really good hockey on a regular basis. And at some point, we do need to expect this team to come out and give us, like, a 60-minute effort. You know what I mean? Like, on home ice, come in and actually thrill the fans as opposed to, like, like that was a mutinous atmosphere through 40 minutes. And then the script flipped. And hopefully it's the start of something. I'm not saying it's not, but at some point we do need to see much more of that. Like so much more of that. Uh, the paying customers in this market deserve it. Hockey fans in this market deserve it. Like for any fan of this team, anyone who's tracked this team deserves it. Like we, we do need to see more. We just need more. It left me, it was so good. It left me wanting more. Like I want to be in the building. I want to cover more games like that. And I just... I don't even think it's like, I want more. Like it should be an expectation. This team should be fun. They should put together 60 minute efforts. They should win games. Um, give me more of that. Well, and to put it into context for our, for us in the press box, you know, usually there, there's We're a buzz of activity and you're, you're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to make sure you can hear over each other and things like that. Like I could whisper and talk to you and you would have no problem hearing me. Like I've, it, the, no, I the atmosphere in that building after the second period, it was a virtual morgue and Vancouver has always had a tortured fan base. We generally don't enjoy the good times. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop uh, just because they haven't experienced a championship at any point. And I mean, boy, uh, I go back to 2011 game seven and it was even then it was a fan base that was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Even though the playoff run had been great, you kind of knew going into that game, it wasn't going to go well. And there's been so many moments since where just, yeah, you know, call me, call me when it matters. Call me when, call me when it's over. But even now when we expect that after a year of no fans in the building, that people would just come in and instantly and naturally and organically be loud because they just appreciate right. it. The club has been so uninspiring that fans have had no reason to appreciate it. And up in the press box, I mean, it was it was so comfortable. Like if I want to call somebody and talk to my wife because something has happened at home, I will call during play. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to leave. You don't have to go to the hallway. You don't have because, to go outside. <laughs> because that's the quietest moment, right? Like between plays, you know, when there's a commercial break, you might get some you know, some, some production or Al Murdoch talking. And now I'm just like, shut up, Al. I got to talk in the phone. It's a commercial break. No, no, you do it during play <laughs> because that when it's, that's when it's the most quiet. So seeing the fans just let it all out as well during that third period. And, you know, you talk about it, they, they need to string it together. How much of a period like that, and then a sequence like that five on three in the last five minutes to save the game and get it into overtime. And then it follows up with JT Miller scoring in overtime when the three most important players or the three most exciting and dynamic Canucks, Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller are all involved in that goal. Like how much of a catalyst, a springboard, a launch point can that be to get the 60 minute effort to string a certain number of games together? Because usually it's that type of moment that can galvanize a team. Yeah, I mean, and, and it better, right? Like it better, um, it better galvanize this team. And and it could, like it could, it should. It felt like a huge sigh of relief. It felt like something they needed for what it's worth, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this uh, they were they were booed. There was a scattering of boos as the team left the ice in the second period. Like you could hear, you know, some pretty negative chants start to form in certain sections. They didn't catch on. I think there's so much hope like this market still wants to like this team a lot, you know, like that's the sense I get. There's not, there's not really that like really mutinous pressure. There's not that really dissatisfied pressure yet from the casual fan or from the like game attendee fan yet. Um, that comes later. That comes later in the season. There's still, it's still early enough and this market is still, I think clever enough to know that like there's still hope, right? Like there's still hope that this team can turn it around. And so it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. Like I think the bar is so low in this market and that this team entered the season, not with expectations, 
but with curiosity surrounding it. People were like interested to see how they played after all of the summer changes, right? And I think that fans really want to believe in this team. And then the first nine games and then two periods, (laughs) first 9.66 games of the season, there was nothing to hang your hat on, like nothing. It was just so grim. Um, you know, Connor Garland scored in Seattle, like at least the Canucks beat the Kraken, spoiled their franchise home opener. I think Canucks fans enjoyed that. Um, but, us, you know, everyone also was like, well, this looks like the Vegas series, you know, like, well, they're there getting outshot. Oh, boy. Right. Um, and now and now. So, you know, that third period gave people sort of relit that flame a little bit. And I think the team really needed that at the midway of a road trip that, or homestand, excuse me, that was going very badly, like very much not the way they wanted it to historically badly, in fact, for a season opening homestand. And so, you know, now we see, now we see what they do on Friday. Like now we see what they do on against Nashville. Now when we see what they do to close out this road trip, um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, but at least their top six came to play in that game, right? Like another another piece of the puzzle that this team's really going to need if they're going to succeed, which is their dynamic forwards being dynamic, um, clicked, clicked into place. And so, look, if they can get their special teams back on track, graft good special teams, a dynamic top six attack onto, you know, a, st- a structure that they seem to have right now where their defense is only just a bit below average as opposed to an absolute train wreck and their goaltending is excellent and their goaltending has been sensational, then, you know, maybe, maybe we have something like maybe we have something, right? I'm not, I'm certainly not saying after 10 games, we don't, right? Like we're, we're still building bricks at this point in the season. Like every game is a, is a result. Sure. But it's also a brick toward having a sense of who exactly this team is. We still won't, I I still won't know with much certainty what this team's quality is for another 15 to 20 games. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to see, like I'm willing to see what they can put together. There's too many good players on this team, certainly for the offense to be league worst at five on five. (laughs) Like I certainly don't believe that about this team. Um, you know, so I, I don't sort of look at that third period as like, can they build around this and rally around this? I mean, they can, first of all, but I, that's just also not what it means to me. What it what it is to me is like a reminder that like hockey can be fun. Hockey should be fun. This team has enough talent to play fun hockey. Now it's just about putting it together, doing it with some level of consistency to justify the ticket price and to justify our continued attention and, and, to, and to justify the investment in time that this fan base has put into this team over so many grim seasons, <laughs> like grim, brutal seasons, an underskilled club, um, you know, like at some point you got to pay that off by having built something worthwhile. Maybe the Canucks have done that this season. Certainly in the first 10 games, they've suggested mm, maybe not. But that third period against the Rangers, at least, was like a hint that, hey, maybe this group is something. We'll, we'll, we'll see. They have a lot of work to do to convince us that that's the case. Can it also remind the lotto line that, hey, they're, they're pretty good hockey players? Because we haven't seen that. And sometimes when you watch them play, you're not sure if they believe it anymore. Um, you know, and, I, and I've got bigger concerns about Pedersen than you have. But when I, when I look at it, you know, just the fact that Pedersen was on the ice and involved in that goal, the, the winning goal in overtime. Um, you know, Miller got two goals in that game. That could light a fire under him. We're still waiting for Brock Besser. Like, can being just a part of that remind these guys that, hey, we're pretty good and it's still in there? I, I hope so. You'd hope so. I mean, I thought Pedersen's game even before the third period was the best that he'd had this season. I mean, he hits the crossbar on that two-on-one his pace was really good. Two-way Pedersen was back, right? Like he he does he has the back check that creates the Miller breakaway, right? Um, like that smart, that uber smart, competitive, two-way problem-solving version of Pedersen was back for that Rangers game. It probably wasn't his best game. Like it wasn't his best game, probably. Um, by his standard, it was probably just a just a good game. If, if we're taking it on the standard that he said over 165 games in his first three years, right? It wasn't like, wow, what an electric, memorable Pedersen performance by that standard. But at least it looked 
like a part of what we've seen before as opposed to what we've seen in these first nine games. Um, so we'll see. I think there's some signs. I, I think there's some signs that the rust is beginning to shake off. Again, I remain completely unworried about Elias Pettersson. The lotto line, however, I'm done with. Like, I just, you know, they've played 50 minutes. They've played 52 minutes. They're the worst line in hockey. They're the worst line in hockey this this season. Like, I'm done with that. I don't I don't need to see that anymore. Just hearing that compared to two years ago when they were arguably they were the, best the best line in hockey. Yeah, like, the it's only, just only bizarre. the perfection line was better. I know. So, okay, we've talked about Pedersen. Miller got something going in this last game. And again, they weren't together the entire game. And, and Connor Garland was was great on, on both goals in regulation. But what about Brock Besser? I mean, you know, this is a guy that is not rusty. You know, the, the shot is there. He's not taking it. There's He's not getting into the right spots to be available to take it. Like, what are we seeing from Brock Besser? I'm a little confused. Um, and I think... Brock Besser, because everyone's been so concerned about Pedersen, we haven't talked much about Besser's struggles, but they're real. And, you know, I think he's probably maybe playing a little more banged up than we realize. That would be my guess, to be totally honest with you, Farhan. Like, he disappeared with a mysterious injury. Reports indicate that it's something nagging. And, you know, there's just not a lot going on there. It's just not like so. And, and you know, when he was swapped out of the lotto line for Garland, things began to look kind of normal for that line again on in the third period of Fred of uh, Tuesday night's game. Uh, Brock Besser is incredible. Like he's he was this team's best player a year ago. Right. No, no question about that. Um, you know, he's such a smart player, too. Right. Like it's not just the shot that we all. Um, you know, the shot's probably his best attribute. Like, it's not just the shot. It's the two-way IQ. It's the battles that he's able to win along the wall. It's his improved playmaking. Like, he's a really, really good player. Um, but he just hasn't been at his usual level uh, this season. And and I think he's kind of – that's kind of flown under the radar because his struggles have been grouped with Pedersen's struggles or, or have been overshadowed by Pedersen's struggles and are seen more in the context of the lot of line struggles. But, yeah, I mean, there is something – there's something off there for me, I think. And, you know, they're going to need, they're going to need everyone in that top six to play a lot better, right? Like Tanner Pearson's getting a lot of flack from this fan base, but I just think about that Chicago goal. I think about the way that he's basically one of the few guys who's generated some scoring chances right in the slot (laughs) on this team. Um, You know, I, I mean, Tanner Pearson kind of is what he is. Like, I think this team would be better off if they could find a way ever to slot him into the uh, onto the third line. Uh, they kind of need to do that. Um, But, you know, I don't have any issue with how he's performed. I don't think he's like struggled enormously. I, I'm People are coming after like Bo Horvat. They're like, other than those clutch goals. It's like, yeah, other than those clutch goals. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Um but um, but yeah, I mean, there there I there is Brock Besser for sure can can be filed under something to watch for now. Like I'm I'm really surprised by um, where his form has been at to open the season, and maybe I shouldn't be based on the fact that he didn't start the season on time, that he missed a ton of training camp with uh, with a mysterious injury. Um, you know, I think I think frankly the Canucks' top six. Part of the reason they're probably not firing the way they have in the past is, you know, they've got a center who's shaking off the rust following a significant injury and probably another first line winger who's managing uh, a nagging one. And yeah, I mean, that that would that would start to make some sense in terms of explaining this team's overall form. Well, you know, and if it continues, you know, I don't know if it's the type of injury. We, we understood it was kind of a lower to mid-body type injury, groin area type thing. And, you know, that's a tough thing to manage w- without actual rest. You hope it doesn't kind of drag him down for the entire season. And, you know, we're kind of getting to that point with Brock Besser where we're starting to view him as potentially just an injury-prone guy. And as he gets into his next contract, I think that's going to get factored in. I don't know how big picture we want to get in that regard right now. I do want to talk to you about your um, your report card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, let's uh, let's get into your report card because we've talked a bit about the lotto line. Uh, the, the two players that have been acquired from Arizona this summer. You know, and we have, we have debated and dove into that detail short-term and long-term. But from a short-term perspective, Drancer, I think this has gone better than even Jim Benning could have imagined. Like, they have hit it out of the park. Both players right now, you've got arguably your best defenseman in Oliver ekman Larson, and you've got your best forward in Connor Garland right now through the first 10 games of the season. Yeah, I think no question. <laughs> like, no question that trade to this point has worked out nicely for Vancouver, with the exception that you know, the logic of that trade requires you to make the playoffs and be really good. Like, you know, that's, that's, those guys are finishing pieces, you know, like they've been really good. They've helped this team a ton. They've performed excellently. I'm not sure they've been brought in as finishing pieces. I think they've been brought in as core pieces, someone to solidify your top six and, Jim Benning, you can say it was hyper bluster, but he said the day he traded for him, he will be our number one defenseman. And that's with Quinn Hughes on your roster. He said it was his number one defenseman. And he's he's playing like that. But yeah, but but not really. Like he's not playing those minutes. You know? But from a like, from a two-way perspective, he's having that kind of impact. And he's made people around him better. He has resurrected he has. Tyler Myers. He's, he's been he as close to a shutdown guy as they've got, right? Uh, you know, at, at both sure. ends of the ice, he is absolutely delivering. Like we, we, And none of us are shocked that there was a short-term bounce back, right? So ultimately, this trade is going to get graded on a much longer lens. But right now, on the small lens, he has absolutely lived up to and exceeded expectations. Yeah, he has. And I mean, he's now back up well up above Tucker Pullman in terms of time on ice per game, right? So he is playing top pair minutes. Um, him and Myers have been so good that their minutes have both ticked up over the course of the last week. That's right. That's how it should be. Um, so he's no longer playing second pair deployment the way he was earlier in the season. He is playing the toughest minutes, the most matchup minutes of any Vancouver defenseman. And his results are electric. Like they've been really good. His two-way form has been tremendous, but you know, I mean, for most of this season, his usage has, usage has been second pair defenseman. It's peaked up a little bit now, um, but you know he's he's second on the Canucks in ice time by four seconds of five on five ice time per game. Like he's definitely not this team's number one defenseman for me. I mean, yeah, he's playing almost two minutes less per game than Quinn Hughes. Uh, that's okay though. I, I you know I remember when we did the Vancast after that episode. I said one thing I thought the Canucks were doing in describing him that way was, you know, making a guy who didn't feel like he'd belonged in Arizona as the club sort of tried to trade him and kind of checked out on him as a core piece, right? Try to make that guy feel like he's vital to what we're doing here, right? That that was part of how they were trying to engineer his back, um, his bounce back. And look, I always believed in the bounce back. I don't know why, but people think I would crush the Canucks for that trade, like crush them. And like, I just, it's not true. Like I like, I liked the Ekman Larson bet from a performance standpoint. I was worried about the tail risk of acquiring that contract. Like that exceeded what I thought was a reasonable level of risk tolerance considering the price the Canucks have paid. That's still true for me. Like when I'm describing these guys as finishing pieces, like the logic of that deal requires this team to make the playoffs, right? Like as good as Ekman Larson has played, as scintillating as Connor Garland has been, like that that deal doesn't make sense. That deal doesn't make sense unless the Canucks accomplish something this season. So yeah, they've been Vancouver's best players. That, that That's a win for the Canucks. But they need more from everybody to make the logic of that trade stand up. 
Let's talk about Garland as well. And what do you think has been the key for his success, given the fact that he hasn't really settled in on a line? He had a couple of games early on on the second line with Horvat and Pearson, but yeah. he's been all over the lineup. And I know that you suggested that, hey, that's good because he can add energy to a bunch of different players. But at some point, you want to be able to play and build chemistry with some players. But you look at the two passes he made for goals one and two, and that looks like a guy that has a lot of chemistry with, with anybody. Like, just What's been the, the key to what's allowed him to be successful? Well, I definitely do think we need to see him get a run of games with Pedersen now. Like after that seven minutes that they played Miller, Pedersen, Garland together five on five against the Rangers, they just tilted the ice. Like we saw the Canucks do things we haven't seen them do much of in terms of controlling play and generating actual high danger chances and having regular heavy shifts that put a ton of stress on their opponent. Like that, you know, you got to solve the top and then kind of fill in your depth issues. Um, the Canucks don't have a, a top end right now. Like they haven't had a top end that's been creating the type of pressure wearing opponents down that you really need your top from your top line if you're going to win games consistently in the NHL. So, yeah, I mean, I want to see Garland play with Pedersen. I want to see them get a run of games at this point. I think that's crucial. Like I, I think that's a no brainer in in the wake of that New York Rangers game. Um, look, Garland just had, plays with a ton of energy. Like he's always moving his feet. He's very skilled. And, you know, he wakes up on Thursday morning and he's, you know, tied for sixth in even strength points, right? He's 11th in the NHL by five on five points, right? Like he's producing at an elite rate. Like he's an elite five on five producer based on his form this season. There's, there's some signs that some of that is going to regress. He's had way more shooting luck and his line mates, or teammates who he shared the ice with have had way more shooting luck than any other Canucks player to this point. Um, he's got a point for every single, he's recorded a point on every, on every single goal that he's been on the ice for five on five. That's like a random distribution fluke, frankly, right? Like sure. he's being overly credited for the offense that's being scored with him on the ice. But, you know, he's also a guy who tends to have a higher um individual point percentage than than normal because he's so odd in terms of his overall play style. Unique is how he'd describe it, right? Um, <laughs> and so he is a little bit more involved than usual. So that number's not going to regress. Like I remember Jake Vertanen was a guy who was, you know, like a 90% IPP in that one season that he was good. And I remember pointing it out and being like, this guy's, you know, not being as good as the points suggest he has. Um, but I wouldn't expect Garland to regress to quite the same level because over his career, he's been like a 75 plus percent IPP guy. So anyway, um, that's a little bit too, uh, nerdy, <laughs> even for, even for me and our audience. Um, the fact is, is that Garland's been, uh, fantastic. Like he's been fantastic. And, and the fact that he's had so much success without power play time, which also should change, right? Like he also needs to go on the power play. Uh, he needs to go everywhere. Like put Connor Garland wherever you can. Like if there's an opportunity to put Garland somewhere, do it. Um, and the fact that, but yeah, the fact that he's had this much success without a regular line centerman, without a regular line, without power play one time. I mean, now it's time to expand his role because he's clearly the guy stirring the drink for this team right now. And they need as much as of that as they can get. Another point I want to ask you about is, is a pod Colson. Now people have been critical thinking that, Oh, you know, you're, you you do not like pod Colson and you're critical. I mean, you haven't been, you've just talked about managing him and, and integrating him at a reasonable pace. Uh, you know, just given the fact that he's a rookie and, and what he's done to this point. And, you know, you've said that by the end of the season, by the second half of the season, this guy's going to be a much more important player than he should be asked to be in the short term. Um, and he slowly seems to be getting better even now, and not just because of the goal, but he was more noticeable, more physical, more engaged in more minutes in this last game. I mean, he was great. Like, he was really, really good. I still think there's, you know, the, I saw some of the same things that I've seen, but, you know, what What I've never doubted from Pod and what I've been so impressed by over the course of his first eight NHL games is the motor, is the competitiveness, is the maturity that he shows physically on a regular basis. And I, I loved that goal. Like, I loved him getting hauled down. He should have drawn a penalty, right? And then beating the guy who hauled him down to the net front. Like, I love that. I love that sequence. I love that lack of quit. Like, that's great. 
Um, and, I, and I like the way that he's beginning to understand his size in this context a little bit more. Like you can tell on the forecheck, the way that he's hitting guys, the way that he's asserting himself into games. Like he's clearly beginning to understand like, oh, I'm a huge guy. Like I am even even at this level, I am massive. Um, that's that's killer. I think I think in time, the Canucks are going to have a really good player on their hands. Really good player. And, and I don't even think it's going to take that long. You know, I've been saying February. Um, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Like, I think three more months. I think he just needs to adjust to some nuances at the NHL level. I still see that. Like, I still see, you know, the connecting play at the, from the defensive half wall. Um, some of that stuff. So, yeah, he played seven minutes uh, in that Rangers game. But there were so much special teams that, to me, that's within the bounds of what you want to see on a regular basis. I think the Canucks have probably done a slightly better job of late keeping him relatively well slotted and getting him into that nine to 11 minute range. Um, he needs to stay there. I, I would see him used more when they're chasing. Like that's the one thing I don't, I don't, I feel like <clears throat> when they're chasing and they jumble their lines, like he's an, he's an offensively talented, big bodied guy who you can use in that situation. I, you know, I, I think there's something there. Um, the Canucks have just been so desperate for, lines that drive play that I think it's sort of caused them to be solving problems elsewhere as opposed to carving out, you know, and, and I mean, in terms of juggling their lines in terms of deployment, right. As opposed to carving out that predictable space for pod Colson, but pod Colson, Dickinson Garland, like that's been a look I've really liked um, over the past couple of games anyway. And, you know, it, it's got his ice time to probably roughly the right level. I think putting him with a more defensively reliable centerman is is advisable. Like, I, I you know, part of me wonders if Brandon Sutter was like the perfect guy, right, to be his Derek Dorsett or what Derek Dorsett was for Bo Horvat, right? Like, just like the veteran guy who's always glued to him for his first year um, and creates a comfort level for the coach to put him out there. Um, you know, I, I sort of wonder if the absence of Sutter has kind of thrown an ideal plan in the in the in the garbage, as it were. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see sort of where this develops. But I think I mean, I look, I've been impressed and I was really impressed that that goal he scored was much more impressive to me than the rush goal that he scored in Philadelphia, even though the shot wasn't quite as spectacular. Uh, it, it just because of the way that it encapsulated what's going to permit him to make it and probably sooner than later, which is just, you know, a, a certain willfulness, uh, a certain, you know, um, overall competitive work rate that, you know, it's impossible to miss. Like it's impossible to miss. And, and that those qualities tend to separate, you know, who's a really effective player down the line and who's not. As far as Brandon Sutter is concerned, it was good to see him in the press box the other night. He was there, and uh, I'm told that things have actually been looking up for Sutter in the last couple of weeks. That there's been a significant improvement in his condition, and he still hopes to, to play hockey this year. I know there's some that believed it would turn into a Jonathan Taves situation, that eventually we'd stop talking about him and his season would end. But uh, with no timelines, and he hasn't skated yet, you know, I, I think somewhere around Christmas might not be a, a, an unrealistic expectation you know, before or after that for him to potentially target uh, getting back to playing hockey again. I think he definitely wants to uh, to play again from what I've been told. And, uh, you know, just more than anything from a health perspective, it's really positive because you don't want to see anybody go through that with, with the long COVID issues that he's been dealing with. Yeah. Uh, one other player I, I want to discuss with you is, you know, another guy that, that has made it back after a bit of an absence is Travis Hamanick. Now, when we last spoke, the Canucks had activated him. They brought him back. They recalled him. Since then, he spoke to the media. There was a prepared statement. There was an emotional piece to what he had to say. And then he got on the ice pretty quick, a lot sooner than I expected, and played almost 17 minutes, including 148 of shorthanded time. What did you make of his first performance? I liked the shorthanded time. I thought he played well shorthanded. I didn't quite like the five-on-five -five play as well. I thought him and Shen... Uh, you know, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work. I think it's um, I think it's inevitable that that pair is going to get burned at some point. There's just not enough speed there for me. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like, we'll see. Uh, I thought he had a, I thought he made a good start. I think, you know, getting him ramped up is really important because this team could use him with Quinn Hughes, like really badly, in my opinion. Um, I think Hamannick's always been a guy who for this team could mean an awful lot because he works 
in a like a, he works slotted higher up this lineup than he probably would anywhere else in the NHL, right? So for me, it's a really high leverage return. But until he's ready to play 16 minutes at even strength and uh, in, in, at the top of the lineup, like 16 to 20 minutes at even strength at the top of the lineup, um, you know, then his impact's going to be limited, right? Like he's he already made a, a solid start in terms of his penalty killing ability. I thought him and Ekman Larson were a nice pair there, but you know, really for them to get full value out of uh, Hamannick, they're going to need to p- play him with Quinn. And I do think that'll come sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time. I thought he made a good start. He made a good start, but I don't like that third pair at all. And, and I think if they try to lean on it, um, you know, on a regular basis, it's, it's it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I know there's no doubt, but I, I certainly do see a scenario where very quickly, I mean, as quickly as they fast-tracked him to get into these games, you know, I, I do think we're going to see a scenario where he gets fast-tracked to play with Quinn Hughes, right? Like, I think that's going to happen really quickly, like in terms of extended time on that pair. Well, I think so too, but also, you know, you're dealing with a situation where, and we don't know the timelines. I mean, there is a timeline, like there is a clock where at some point Tra- Travis Hamannick will be a full participant, but right now he's not able to go on road trips. So, you know, are, do you, do you play him with Quinn Hughes on this homestand only to lose him from the lineup for the next three games thereafter? Right. Like, or, or do you wait until he's a full participant to, to put him in that spot considering, you know, how important it is to, to the success of your team? Like, is it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you navigate that. And I don't know how long the Canucks will be navigating that for, because for some reason they've de- decided that the availability of a player is a private matter. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say there. Like 31 other NHL teams have, have been transparent about these issues. The Canucks are the exception. And so it goes. We watched five power plays. The Canucks do absolutely nothing on them. Fans are getting frustrated and the Rangers come out and three seconds or was it four seconds into their power play? Bam, bam. It's in the <laughs> Just so good. completely putting a highlight on everything wrong with the Canucks special teams. Uh, yeah. The power play is a problem. Like it's a, it's a real problem now. Um, you know, it's a problem with an obvious solution for me though. And it's Connor Garland. No question. Like, at least we now have an obvious solution. Just move JT Miller to the net front or play Connor Garland low. You know, I mean, Connor, yeah, or both. Have them rotate, whatever. But yeah, I mean, just do that. Just do that. It's time. Like, it's time to try it. You know, I I don't want to see the next, I don't want to see the next time the power play struggles. The solution is Alex Chase on at the net front and, and bumping Quinn Hughes off PP1. Like, that ain't it. That ain't it. I'm sorry, it's not. See, I, I like what they showed earlier where, where there was that one practice, and I think it was going into the Edmonton game, where they they had Garland is, uh, at the bumper with, with that unit, right? Like, I, I don't mind yeah. that with JT Miller no, down low at the net front. But but I also like, like, the thing about Connor Garland is I like the relentless movement that he just brings on the ice anyway. Like, this power play could use some unpredictability and some freelancing you know, just to get everyone else sort of playing off of it. And who's the guy I trust to do that the most? It's it's Connor Garland. So not only do I want him on the power play, I want him with the puck in his hands. And the problem with the bumper is that he's just looking for soft areas, right? Like the, your bumper, your bumper never holds the puck. I, I kind of want to see Connor Garland on PP1 in part because I want to see him skate around the net and do weird things and cause players to adjust and like come into their space. I think that would be great. Like, I think that would help directly what ails the Canucks power play in particular. So, uh, you know, put Connor Garland on the PP1, put him up high, and uh, and let's see what they got. That's what I want to yeah, see. They, like, that's they, they what need I something. See. And, you know, like, the Canucks got rid of one of the most experienced special teams coaches in the National Hockey League in Newell Brown. And you can say what you want about the draw pass, but... No, you can't. It works. <laughs> I'm not arguing with you. I'm saying if, if you're a fan, there are times. It, yeah, it works when it's executed well, and the Canucks were executing it in horrific fashion. The for- Anaheim Ducks are coached by Newell Brown right now, twenty six point three percent. If you hey. like, this is this is the thing. I just want to bring this back. Like people get on me all the time for not crushing Travis Green, right? But this market crushed Newell Brown, crushed it for no years. Question. Yeah, for years. 
He's the, one of the best power play. Like, consider that this market isn't the best at evaluating coaches. You know? Like, if it's a matter of faith for you that Newell Brown had to go, and now it's a matter of faith for you that Travis Green has lost the room, like, Newell Brown is coaching a way worse team to a 26.3% power play conversion rate. Like, consider that this market's not that good at evaluating coaches. Uh, look, I agree with you. I was a fan of what Newell Brown did. I think it did get stale as far as the players were concerned because they just did a poor job of executing. It's easy to blame the coach, but yeah, the, the drop pass, like Newell Brown was a trendsetter because ultimately the entire Hawk NHL started using it after he put it in in Vancouver the first time. So it, it's still working for other teams and just his special teams generally. Yeah, he's a good special teams coach. It did get stale here. Uh, he's one of the great power to make play coaches in this league. What's Period. That? He's one of the great power play coaches in this league, period. He is. And so now you've also got a young special teams coach in Jason King working with this team, right? And so you look, and, and you know, young coaches need to get – they need to get some run. They need to get an opportunity. So I'm not sitting here dunking on Jason King, but – He'll figure it out. He's a smart guy. Like, for sure. He'll figure it out, but he does need to figure it out. But, I mean, I'm not worried about King as part of their issue either, like, to be clear, right? Like – I'm I'm not standing for Newell Brown here and then and then dunking on Jason King. Like Jason King's a smart guy. He's gonna figure this out. One thing one thing I worry a little bit about too is like, you know, in your first year doing anything, you don't necessarily have the confidence or weight to really, you know, like one thing we we're not sure about is how much is Alex Chase on at the net front, for example, right? Like how much is that a green solution versus a king solution? You know what I mean? Sure. Like like you're never going to be as as confident in being like, no, I know what I'm doing to your superiors in your first go around, right? Like never, no no line of work in, in is that true, right? Um, so you know he started his his first time coaching an NHL power plays, coached many AHL power plays, um, you know, and it hasn't gone well, and the pressures on that unit in particular, um, you know, he'll figure it out, he'll do what works. Like, but the, I, I honestly one of the reasons the power play has such a focus on it is because the penalty kill is so bad. And that's true. You talk the about play is not a problem relative to the penalty kill. <laughs> right. So like, that's the bigger issue. And look, Thatcher Demko has been fantastic. He's been okay on the PK, right. And he's been fantastic at five on five, but you can't just hang it on him. Um, what need, what needs to happen? What needs to happen differently in terms of the four guys in front of him on the penalty kill right now? Well, at least that Rangers goal against was like a bang bang play that can happen to anybody. Like whatever, you know. Uh, I think the power plays penalty kill has already been better. Like I think Bailey's speeds added a lot to it. I think getting Tyler Mott back will help, and getting Hamannick back will help. Um, so you know, I, I, it's not good. It's not good enough. Um, I think they've changed up some of how they pressure up high. Uh, we'll see. It, it it needs to stabilize, and and I kind of wonder if it maybe has we just haven't seen it work a ton um but you know like i didn't think they gave up a ton shorthanded to the rangers they just gave up that brutal point shot goal you know what i mean like that it was a point shot deflected by panarin like that's gonna happen no matter who you are or how you're killing penalties um you know the the edmonton oilers scored two power play goals they're automatic you know, like I kind of thought the Canucks work on that first penalty kill against Edmonton was almost as good as you could do. Um, they're just really good. They're just really, really good. So we'll see. Like I, I'm, I am way more worried about the penalty kill than I am about the power play. But I also already think some of what I was really worried about earlier in the season, five, four on five, is better now than it was. Meanwhile, the Canucks have three games remaining on this homestand. It starts uh, or it continues tomorrow night as the National Predators come to town. Team sitting at 500. After that, we've got the Dallas Stars, a team that's also struggled a little bit coming out of the gate yeah. before they wrap things up. Winnable games, man. With the Both Anaheim Ducks. Winnable games. And if that, you're a playoff my, team, you have to beat these teams. That's my point, right? So now that they've set themselves up with a breathtaking third period against a very good New York Ranger team, a team that was 5-1 and one in the road, 6-1 and one in the eh, last seven coming in. I don't um, know about that. I don't think they're very good, but I, but yeah, I was come on, no, no, yeah, the sarcasm. no, they had a good record. Okay, yeah. So we we got to do more shows together for you to note the sarcasm when I use a word like. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I don't have the dictionary that you do, my friend. 
Um, oh man, my bad. My bad. So let's let's start with the Predators. Well, let's let's not dissect their opponents because we're we're low on time, and I do want to get to the Jack Eichel trade before we go. But just these three games against at or below five hundred teams, winnable games. What do they need to come away with? I mean, three three and zero down this for these three is probably going to be a tough ask, but they have to win two of these three, don't they? Oh yeah, five points. You need five points minimum. You need to you need to not lose a single one of these in regulation. Just that, and that, look, that's a big ask, but that's what happens when you go zero for three to start a homestand. Like you're in salvage mode now. You know, like the best you can do on this homestand is four and three. That would be fine. Like even that's not a good homestand, right? So you know. Three, three, and one. I mean, that's what you want to do. That's what you got to do. You got to. You you don't want to lose a single one of these games in sixty minutes. This team has trailed for three hundred and forty-five minutes this season. They didn't lead at any point in that game the other night against the Rangers. I mean, they scored in overtime to win it. Does it matter? Is it is it cliche? Do they have enough? Do theoretically, does this team have enough offensive power, firepower? It hasn't shown itself yet, but that, you know that starting. With the lead is imperative, what, or is it critical for this team as well to start games better, get out to early leads? Yeah, I mean, you know, I know the I know the stats on scoring first, but I also think you know that the, the important thing for me is never like who scores first, how much do you score first? It's do you create an environment regularly where you're more likely than your opponent to get the next goal? And the Canucks just because of what they've been generating overall right? Have not been that team most nights. Like they just haven't been. And and on balance, because of where they're at in terms of expected goals, in terms of what type of stress they're putting on opponents, like that's what they need to figure out. They need to be a threat at five, at, at five on five. Like they need to be a threat to be that team that gets the next goal. Um, they certainly have the personnel to do that. They just haven't put it together yet. And, you know, uh, I think injuries have played a part. I think absences have played a part. I think rust has played a part. I do think new personnel have played a part. But, you know, we're 10, we're 12% into the season. Like, we're an eighth of the way into the season now, Farhan. Like, there are no more sort of excuses. And the Canucks haven't played well enough in the first 10 to give themselves, you know, margin. Like, they, there's no margin for error here. They need to They need to start to win games. I think these next three games are really important. And then you go out on a pretty hard trip. Like, you've got Colorado. You've got Vegas. Um, you know, even this Anaheim team's winning games like LA, the LA Kings are on a three game win streak. Um, you know, like pressure is going to mount really quickly on this team and it, it mounted on Tuesday night. Um, so, you know, it's just like, it's, it's get it done time, like period. It's get it done time. We've seen, we've seen them rally. Like we've seen them have that moment that you can build on. And, you know, whether you believe in that type of, um, camaraderie, hocus pocus or not, like this team has to start winning if they're going to be a playoff team, which is what they want to be. Like they have to start winning in bunches. So yeah, go, go, go get that done. You mentioned Vegas and Jack Eichel is the newest member of the Vegas golden Knights uh, blockbuster trade. Buffalo gets Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck from Vegas, along with a future long first time, run draft. Longtime Van Cass favorite, Alex Tuck. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, future for, Future first round draft pick and a future second rounder. Vegas also gets a future third round pick uh, as part of the deal. So, you know, when I look at the term and, and look, I, l- I like Alex Tuck as well for the same reasons, uh, just that tremendous speed and an ability to make plays at speed. But when you look at what else was theoretically out there, how do you size this deal up? And again, let's keep in mind that he's going to have artificial disc replacement surgery uh, as early as this week and isn't going to be available for up to five months, right? So we may not see him in a Vegas uniform for some time, but how critical was it, or sorry, how, how surprising was it that they were able to get this done for that return? Well, I, I mean, Buffalo didn't have a ton of good options at this point, unfortunately for them, right? But I mean, it's not a bad return. Like, I, I don't actually, I'm not critical of the return. I'm just critical of the fact that like every team in the league should have wanted to make this deal. Like this is a, this is a potential franchise player and yeah, for potential franchise player with a big cap liability, a big salary liability and a huge amount of medical uncertainty surrounding him. But I mean, if he comes back and is what he was, he's a top five player in hockey. Top five, you know, honestly is like, he's incredible. Um, Vegas just got a franchise number one center. 
for Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, and a bunch of draft picks. I mean, every team in the league should have made that. Unless you unless you think you can win the Stanley Cup this year, every team in hockey should have made that. Like, I don't know why. I mean, put together an analogous package from the Canucks. Should they have made that trade? Yes. The answer is yes. So, yeah, I mean, Vegas, they're the only team that's allowed to acquire top talent, apparently. Well, it's amazing because every time, whether it's a free agent situation or at the deadline, somehow George McPhee and, and Kelly McCrimmon, they, fi- uh, they find a way to, to get this done. Um, yeah, we're sometimes uh, for better or worse. Like, Pietrangelo hasn't played well in his two seasons there, right? Like, Yeah. But, hey, in, they're swinging. This, they're totally. swinging. In they're this, making noise. In this market, in this market, people would be like living in day-to-day Alex Pietrangelo panic. You know, like he has not come in and done the OEL thing in Vancouver to this point in Vegas. But but Vegas just added a franchise number one center to a team that was already incredible. And yet a team that is gonna start have to turn it around pretty significantly to make the playoffs. Fascinating. That team is fascinating this year. Um, but I do like that this deal is made with the long view in mind, right? Like, is Vegas willing to take a step back this season? This trade, even though, you know, neither Tuck, who's hurt at the moment, or Krebs have played a huge role for the team, um, like, does suggest that Vegas is thinking beyond this year, too. And I kind of admire that as well, especially for a team as good as they are. All right, my friend, we're out of here. I'm going to see you tomorrow night at the game. But before we go, we do want to let you know that Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks is Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly's guest next week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And for all of our VIPs, we'd like to thank you all for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all that bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial and then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash thevancast. Our show will return on Monday uh, after the next two games and before the final game of the homestand against Anaheim. And Drancer, when I see you tomorrow night, I hope I'm having to yell to talk to you because it's so loud in the building. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll see where, we'll see where we're at. Although, you know what? I'm skipping the game tomorrow night. What? I know, I'm sorry. It's the, it's the one game I gotta miss. I've got some, uh, I've got some commitments, unfortunately. Wallace is taking your spot in press row. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Wallace. Wallace will be there with a bow tie. It'll be very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Can't wait. We'll talk next week. <laughs>